Welcome back to the series on social justice. We're going to do things a little different today, and I honestly have no idea how it's going to work, or if it's going to work. Um, and I was sharing with someone last night that it's probably the, the most of a min run I've done on prep. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because I've done all the work in the last months, I'm good, or I think there's a little bit of subject fatigue going on. And may, and I kind of feel like, no, well, number one, it's it's not like a straight Bible category. Like, it's not exegesis, which I'm probably more comfortable with. Uh, also, I kind of feel like we're at the point where this would work better at a coffee table with four or five people and really going back and forth. And maybe this format doesn't work great. Um, I mean, there's somewhat of a perception of authority standing up in front of people. And, and, and I, either people really are, um, we're getting a good representation of what people are willing to say, or there's, there's some people out there not willing to talk. Because in my own life, in a, those coffee table discussions, I get a lot more differences than I hear in here. Um, and, but maybe that's just my perception. So um, please jump in and comment and help me out today and pray for me. A um, couple things, social justice news of the week. So since the women won the soccer tournament last week, there's been a lot more detailed discussion on the whole pay gap stuff. And so all these interviews and back and forth, and it's just been interesting to follow. You know, it's kind of similar to what people sometimes say about our taxes. The rich need to pay their fair share. And again, when we talk about justice, what, what does fair mean? Even if you, if you agree on the term equality, what does that mean? So in this case, you could say, well, they should get equal pay, right? Equal $100,000 or whatever it is. And it's interesting in the, in the Olympics, you know, everyone gets the same medal. Doesn't matter what sport, what gender. The bronze, silver, gold are worth the same amount, and that's your gift. There might be other things, too. But in this case, it's more of a payout based on how much you know, money the tournament brings in. And as President Trump said, he'd, he said, I'd have to look at the numbers. Well, the numbers are clear. The, the numbers, well, they're clear on one level. The men should wake way more than women from all sorts of metrics I could go through. You could even say, well, the women are actually making a higher percentage than the men. So if you want to equalize it, take more money away from the women, which, of course, is not what people are saying. I can hear the other argument, well, what if we don't care about the numbers? What if this is about national pride like the Olympics and everyone just gets the same? And I, and I think it just depends on how you want to approach it, right? Is this a commercial enterprise or not? So, but it's interesting that there's just an assumption that my, my standard of justice, what seems fair to me, is so clear, so it becomes so passionate that people are against that. And yet, if you can just step away and try to be objective and think, well, what does this side think? What does this side think? And that's the kind of the, what I want to model today in as many of these topics we get to. Uh, Babylon B, which is a Christian satirical article, it had a pretty funny thing. It said the women's national team sues to overturn the unjust law of supply and demand. Um, it also had, uh, it also had a title there, Harvard professor forces Asian student to stand in the corner for scoring too high. <laughs> it's a joke. It's not, it didn't happen. But there's been a lot of talk about the uh, racial discrimination against high performers. Um, another issue that's going up is the whole Epstein case. So this is the ultra-rich billionaire who is now, you know, starting to have some accountability for, for decades, has... Really sketchy. He's got this island where he, he flies important people to, and there's all sorts of sexual abuse against underage girls going on. 
And it, when you start to peel into that, and I don't know all that's true. I mean, there's enough smoke that there's got to be something there, you figure. But assuming that's true, um, you just think the whole idea of the rich and the powerful to get away with this level of evil for so long that so many people knew about it. It really kind of goes back to our first few lessons of money and power and, and the kind of injustice that can flow from that. I mean, I would think at the very least, whatever we mean by social justice, that type of corruption and tyranny we would want to fix and defend. Um, of course, people are, are going into defense now. There's lots of finger pointing. Um, and so even if there's a specific issue you disagree with the far left on, realize in, in their mind that's, that's an example and that kind of passion, that kind of concern they would put on other issues that maybe you don't. Um, but, but at some point that heart motive is a good motive, obviously. And now we just have to look at the facts of the issue. All right. Josh, would you mind praying for us? Here in the Father, we thank you that you love us. You love us enough to uh, prompt us to change and Amen. So I've been kind of wrestling as I go forward what to do. I, there's so much more I want to say on race. I've wanted to get to politics, but it's such a big issue. It should be its own series. Um, thankfully, kind of one of the questions that's bothered me about the race issue is the whole idea of what does it mean to have the black church or the white church or whatever church? Um, what does it mean for, and, and what, particularly they talk about the white evangelicals. And I've just never understood that. I've never identified with that, but maybe I am one. But when I get in conversations with some people, that's what they say. I'm like, wait a minute. When you say that term, I mean, I am white. I am evangelical. So is that me? Um, and so what I've come to find out, and maybe pretty naively, I didn't know. I mean, really, that's, for the most part that I could tell, that's really a political term. It really has to do with your politics. The way you would vote, the way you'd spend your time, the, the type of issues you would work on. I'm sure it's used in other ways as well. So thankfully for me, I, these things are going to come together. Um, and so I'm just going to give you a list, and I've already written there for you, what, what I have ascertained in my dozens and dozens of hours of podcasts and discussions I've listened to. I didn't go find this in a book. I probably could have done that. I could have just Googled a list and probably got some better scholarship. This is just my, I'm sure it is woefully inadequate. And it really depends on who you're talking to. But these are the types of issues I feel like um, from minority groups, probably primarily black um, and probably primarily African-American, not just worldwide black. This is kind of what it seems to me that is the concerns from many about white evangelical church, whatever that is. Uh, and the biggest thing is that they feel there's a silence. And we've talked about my columns and on the far right that I put outside of Christianity was the whole idea of um, faith without works and, and an indifferent spirit. And so, above all, for however you're able to do this in your own personal relationships, um, the idea to know that we're not indifferent, that we're not uncaring, or maybe I should say first examine your heart, pray for the spirit to shine light in your heart. Whenever one of these issues come up, are, are we, and I have, I have been guilty of this, I will continue to be, sometimes it's an issue, some of the arguments are so radical, they seem so 
unbiblical, and I just want to scoff and laugh, and that's it. Without, at the same time, maybe, is there something here for me? Is there something here I need to grow in and repent of? Um, I think I have absolutely been indifferent on some of these issues. And maybe as I study them, I'll still come to the same position, my issues or how I would vote. Um, and yet hopefully I, I grow in compassion. I grow in my ability to, to empathize. Um, and then, of course, then I'm able to evangelize and disciple more effectively. Uh, Zabidian Yobili, who I will quote a few times, he's a, he's a Baptist pastor in D.C. area. He's part of the Gospel Coalition. Um, but basically a Reformed Baptist type of guy. But he's, he's black, he's, um, and he's talked a lot about race in the last year and a half. He's been very much more on the left side of these things within the evangelical church. Uh, major theologians in the Reformed tradition have largely either been silent or unhelpful on the issue of race and humanity. Um, I think it's, it's quite easy to see that they've been quite silent. There's not, just not a lot in our Reformed tradition that talks about this. For whatever reason, it just wasn't an issue. Um, it, it's not something we really talk about in our confession. And so, and that's why you can end up having a lot of differences. Uh, and maybe it's more from, um, he's also pastor in the Cayman Islands, but more from an American experience, I don't know. But so, maybe on a, you know, an issue of justification, we have just tons of resources to run and, and grab onto. This is kind of a new, for a lot of us, new thing. And in just, I'm talking the last couple of years, it's become a, even a firepot cultural issue. Now, often it had its other cultural issues back during segregation and Jim Crow and things like that. But it's an issue that will always be with us. Even if we say it's an unbiblical category, it's a category the world deals in and that we experience. Um, and I talked about this the first week. I've been trying to approach all these different issues. Um, when you when you oppose an issue that this group tends to favor, um, they say, well, that's what you said about slavery. And I've actually been trying to put the, I put all these issues through the slavery test. Um, because the church had a blind spot. We, we missed something there. And so, I, I try to, I try to give myself pause. Okay. Could, could this be, in 50 years, we will look back today. And that's, it's a good question, but it's very hard to answer, right? Um, I don't know how they measured this, but basically there are statistics that say if the average, um, American black person would be here, on the spectrum, and I know these are just black and white statistics, and maybe the average white would be here, left and right. When it comes to the church, if you're an evangelical black, you're here. If you're an evangelical white, you're here. Something about the same Bible and the same doctrines polarizes the church. I don't know how many of those are reformed. I don't know what their doctrines are. I don't know how many are liberal Christians who just claim Christian. I have no idea, but... Something is going on as we care about whatever truth we jump on uh, in the scriptures that causes us to polarize. And so it's interesting, and I, I still don't know what to do with that. I'm just, I'm, I'm observing it and trying to, to understand what to do. I'm very much at the beginning of my journey, much less in the middle or, or past on this issue. Um, and so part of that is they find, um, I, if I say us, it is a bit of a misspeak, even when I say they, who are the they? Um, but many people find that white evangelicals dismissive of seeing problems as racial. And so we will immediately say, well, that's not a race issue. That's this. Um, that has to do with, you know, poverty. It has to do with crime. Um, and for them, it's it's just too quick of a division. 
Yes, I think people agree that all these things relate and it's complicated and you have to try to divide out what are the particulars. But we just immediately jump up, no, it's not race, it's other factors. And this group will say, no, there's, there is a racial component that we need to, to and so that, that would go to school funding, healthcare, gun control, immigration, police accountability, criminal justice reform, welfare, even the abortion debate. Um, and then there's, there's no, they sense that there's no, there's no need on our part. That we don't, for racial reconciliation. There's a huge desire on this side for racial reconciliation, whatever that means. And that this side doesn't care. Doesn't think that's important. Not necessary. And again, maybe it's because there's a last lack of discussion why it's just, it's polarized. And, and this side feels silent. I'm not endorsing any of this, by the way. Um, there's probably things here I agree with and things I don't agree. Um, they also find, I'll use the word us, and sorry, I know that's not necessary, uh, dismissive of historical injustice, especially for black people. Um, both slavery and Jim Crow. That's one thing I kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Sometimes it's always like, like when we get to reparations. Well, slavery, look how long ago it was. I was not a slave owner. But if you think of it as more Jim Crow era, that's a lot closer, right? We're within a generation or two of that. And then maybe some, so the effects of Jim Crow or segregation in general would be easier to, to feel and notice and admit to than maybe slavery. So if it helps, maybe just think of that versus slavery. Let's see. Uh, they find this side slow or altogether resistant to admitting, if not confessing, past failures. So that's, that's a topic for today, right? And we're going to talk about that in a bit, but, well, you know, in one sense, an apology seems trite. Well, what does that do for anybody? And yet, for a lot of people, that's, that is the first step, and we need to do it. So we talk about the theological aspect of that, of, of a generational repentance. Um, they find this side hyper-individualistic. And so, and, and Josh had the comment, I don't know who that came from, but it is kind of natural, you think, that a minority group's would bind together, right, to have equal power or voice. But the majority group who already enjoys that, so they, they have the luxury of focusing individually on personal responsibility. Hey, it's a level playing field, right? A lot of idea of biblical justice. I just want to level the playing field. I want equal laws, equal systems. And then you, with your own work, your moral living, um, you thrive. And yet the minority group's going to feel, well, yeah, but... If we're in a race and you got two laps on me and then you say, all right, let's go. It's not really fair. I'm never going to catch up, right? Um, and so you get back into what is fair. I mean, you can think about there are a lot of animal groups out there that, you know, a pack of wolves or a smaller creature physically who could never take down a huge bison or whatever, but they'll, right, they'll go, they'll gather in groups. And so that, the group mentality, uh, United Nations, um, you know, they, not United Nations, the EU. The European Union, um, you know, that, that formed because there are all these smaller countries who couldn't compete with a U.S. and a China and a Soviet Union and whatever. And so they banded together to kind of be their own nation state. And I follow Brexit probably more than any of you. And all those, all those things are there. But that does make sense, right? That a minority groups will, just because of numbers, has nothing to do with race per se or history. Just any minority group might tend to bind together and have a different perception of the world. And therefore, they would tend to think more collectively, right? 
And then, of course, the need for the government to be that collective that will help them, that will stop injustice uh, versus this side might tend to think more individualistically. That kind of makes sense to me. What you could do about it, we could discuss. Um, they say that they're uh, falsely apolitical. So we might, especially as evangelicals, reformed evangelicals, we're gospel-centered, right? It's not about the politics. We we as a church don't mix our cross and our flag, right? We're, we're, we're pretty conscientious about that, but not letting that be such a big deal and identity to us. There might be a brand of evangelicalism that's like that, that, that we actually agree that we're against that. And yet, we can be quite political in certain ways. Uh, we're politically conservative. There are people who care about the flag. Um, we might quickly criticize people for not complying with the police. Like, you have a, one of these incidents. This side will immediately jump to police brutality. This side will immediately jump to, well, just comply with his orders, dummy. Or, hey, it's, 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 it's more racial only because of crime statistics. And it's just, there's this immediate jump before we know any of the truth. Um, and of course, we are political in certain ways. Some of us involved with like anti-abortion. So to say that we're we're against politics or involved in the culture isn't quite true. It kind of comes down to the issues. They say they make choices based on fear, not faithfulness, and that intent and motivation in the end isn't enough. And this kind of comes down to to do just in society. However, you think that should happen. Whoever's responsible but to really bring justice, to bring equality where it makes sense, to bring fairness is important. And you've got to work in ways that that equality, that fairness isn't there, as opposed to, well, I'm just going to preach the gospel and hope everything works out well. And they sense, they perceive a tone like that, if it's meant or not. Okay. Some of that's probably vague. It's, I'm doing the best I can trying to grasp all the things that I'm hearing. Um, and if I know someone is speaking from that perception, it, it might help me understand their words, really try to listen. Last week I went through a bunch of uh, Keith's laws, or I'll call them conversation tips. How to, how to be pastorally sensitive, how to be culturally conversant. Um, one thing I didn't get into in, in detail, I want to do today though, is I said don't be flippant and casual with statistics. They're very impersonal. You just throw out numbers. Statistics can be interpreted in lots of ways. Specifically, though, in, the, in a conversation, particularly if it's a, it's a principled conversation, I'm not really, I mean, if obviously I'm in a political debate, I'm coming to a vote, then a lot more of those practical realities, how effective is this program going to be, matter. But if I'm just talking to my sister about education reform, right, we don't have to go all that way. And I can I can easily... I can, I want to stay principled. Like, where are you going? Why do you believe that? And so one thing I do when, let's say I, um, I don't know, any statistic. Um, if a statistic is raised in a conversation, and you, then you disagree. Nope, this stat says this. The women's soccer team. There'll be people say, well, the U.S. has more viewers of women than men, but the worldwide has more uh, for the men and the women. Just say, well, if it was true. I often use that phrase. If it was true that the fetus in the womb was a person, would you still be for abortion? Because maybe we just disagree. People disagree that it's a person or not, for whatever reason. Okay, but if, if, if I could show you, if I could scientifically prove to you that it's a human being, 
would you be against abortion? So you can keep it on a principle level. You don't have to fight about some scientific truth or statistic um, to carry on the conversation and really get to the heart issues. And in general, we just need to be more confident wherever the Bible speaks explicitly. And so what I want to do today is, I, I chose a couple of topics. We don't have to go to these specific ones. But basically, I kind of want to give the two main sides of the argument. And I should have a third column on there for you, like the neutral category. Where would certain biblical principles and passages, even if wrongly used, but could be honestly held, support one side? And what other biblical truths could support the other? And I really should have a middle column that says, where does the Bible not speak? Like, say, effectiveness, government effectiveness. The Bible says a lot about that. And so I, was, I just want to give a couple examples, a couple uh, subjects that we can go in, and then, you know, try to use this mental process um, in whatever issue you have. And we don't even have to cover the topics I have, if there's something that's really burning for you. If you want to turn to Romans 13... Or just listen along. In fact, would someone mind reading Romans 13, 1 through 7? Let every, man, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. All right, so if, if I took this passage in First Peter 2, which I don't think we have time to read, um, but that I quoted part of that last week. You know, You're a chosen race, a royal priest and a holy nation a people for his own possession, that new identity in Christ. We talk about nation and race and people groups. In Christ, we have a totally new identity. We are a new people group, in a sense. We're a new race, in a sense. And that that ought to, no matter how important your lineage is, um, doing your DNA tests are, all that stuff, now how important fighting for your country is, and I think people would be up and down on that. If you're a Christian you ought to have a new identity that consumes all of that. Maybe consumes the wrong word. should certainly be more important. And other people should know that. If they have any hint in your discussion that you care about the U.S. more than Jesus, you got a problem. You're not pastoring people. You're not evangelizing. Um, goes on in First Peter 2 to talk about being soldiers and exiles. So this, and that's my first bullet there for you, this world is not our home. So in all these issues, we have got to be a citizen of heaven more than a citizen of, the, of America, and that ought to drive our, our hearts and drive our conversations and drive where we put our passions, and people ought to see that. Because we have a higher goal. We want to glorify God through our good works. We're, we're here about the glory of God, not making sure the U.S. survives in 200 years. Let it fall into the ocean, right? 
Now, I, I, I tend to be way on that side of that. I just don't care. But I know that people talk about, well, the U.S. is a force for good. If I really want social justice. I want to do good in the world. So I, I, I need to be checked in my own spirit on that. But the, the two passages tell us two main things, at least. The government is to punish evil and praise good. And that we're to submit in honor to our authority, including the government. And part of that is paying taxes. So you've got the government, among whatever else the government's supposed to do, is supposed to praise good and punish evil. This marker and my handwriting are not good. And so there's no way of getting out of it. At some sense, the government is involved in morality. Sometimes you say, get the government out of morality. It's impossible. The government is put there in categories of good and evil. Now, now you need a good biblical standard, right? And how on earth government and a godless government is even going to listen to Romans 13, I don't know. But that's why they're there. And I don't know how government is held accountable in eternity, but it seems like they're there. And then, of course, we are to submit and honor. And part of that is taxes. And so Thabiti says, a lot of times people like to take one of these and not the other. And so in just a, a structured way to try to both bring us to the middle somewhere is um, maybe the right tends to be very individualistic and, you know, I want freedom. And we've got to say that we've got to watch this desire from a Christian standpoint for just autonomy and freedom. Somewhere in there that's going to really butt up against our Christian values, <laughs> what the Bible says. And so we can talk in a way about freedom and individualism to a point that really sounds unbiblical, and we got to be careful. That doesn't mean you still don't think that's the best way to vote and have a, a society, but again, watch your, your personal conversations. You know, the biblical idea of freedom is free to serve. I want to be, I'm no longer a slave of unrighteousness, I'm a slave of God and of righteousness. We're always slaves, and we have a king, and we bow our knee to him. Um, but the left side will... They want the government. The, the government is in, is in the business of good and evil. And so where there's an injustice from their mind, where there's an evil, it's the government's role to correct that evil. Right? And some of the, some of the examples are obvious. Slavery. How was the church going to correct slavery? It, it was the government that was doing the problem, right? The government was the one guilty. Obviously, the government is really just people. But that, so that correction had to happen at the governmental level. Church couldn't take away slavery in the land, right? Well, then you get into issues of poverty. Where's the church versus the state's role in that? That's a lot harder to answer. And then there is an issue of taxes. There will be people on that far right then who will say, well, taxes is stealing, right? There's a biblical principle. I'm against stealing. Well, if I find it hard to take that argument too seriously because if the government has the right to receive taxes, now it's a decision on what's proper, right, or how much is proper. But just because they want to tax me for some issue doesn't mean it's stealing, because it's right there. Right? And so maybe those are extremes we need to watch out for. So now it's just more of a spectrum. Like, you know, when we talk about right and left, it's more about what specific issue, how much, how much should we tax, well, you know, what percentage is too much, do I want my money going to an unjust cause, all those types of things. I mean, realize taxes to Caesar, we're not going to a bunch of just causes. And yet we're supposed to pay our taxes. And so the end goal of those taxes can't be enough of a reason that we don't pay them. This gets to be big stuff. And like I said, it's, it's really its own, uh, its own series. 
Let me talk one bit before we get to the issues on political labels. So we talk about the left and the right. We talk about progressive and conservative. And so these terms, progressive and conservative, really assume a current state. Like, if I have a current state and I want to stay there, that would be conservative. If I want to move away from that state, theoretically to some better ideal, some better end goal, then I'm going to be called progressive. Well, what's conservative today might have been progressive 100 years ago, right? If you think about it, the Protestant Reformation was, in some sense, progressive. The status quo in the Catholic Church was not something that we believed in. Now, the Reformation, though, was a return. So, in that sense, the, the view was that the church had drifted away from the Bible to a place where they were, and it was, it was progressive from this standpoint. I'm leaving this status quo, and yet I'm returning to the biblical category. So just watch, watch your terms. We often talk about um, liberal and conservative in terms of the Bible. And so we hold to a standard. So conservative uh, Christians want to hold to the Bible. There's our standard. We want to stay close to it. Where progressives or a liberal reading is, ah, the truth is in there, but it's not all true. And I'm going to pick and choose, and I'm going to use philosophy. And so we are obviously conservative Bible-believing Christians in this room. Don't don't misuse the term to say, therefore, we're conservative political Christians, right? Because the Constitution is not the Bible. There's, there would be nothing unchristian about saying, who cares about the Constitution? Now, unless you want to take the work, and many do, and I just haven't done this, if you want to show that, look, the Constitution supports biblical principles, and that's why I hold to it, fine. But really, you're holding to the Bible. You're not holding to the Constitution. There, there's nothing infallible. If we're sola scriptura people, Bible alone, don't, don't treat the Constitution like the Bible and argue for it as if it is. And that's my, probably my biggest heart in this is I don't really care where you end up. If you got the Bible in the hand and you're praying through these issues, I don't care where you end up. But I want that to be your faithfulness and that to be your guide. Okay, so let's get into, um, I'm going to start with Capitalism and socialism, because it kind of engulfs so many of the other issues. And again, we'll, I don't know how far we'll get here, but I just want to show how you might approach a subject. That's, that's my heart here. So um, I'm going to use the term socialism. Now, what, here's my question. What does the Bible say, principles or passages, that would support the best arguments here? Talking about steel man arguments. Not straw man, but steel man. If you were on a, if you were on a debate team, you'd often be given a subject. Here's your subject and here's your position. You don't get to choose. So you have to go do your research and think, okay, what are the best arguments for this position? And that's kind of what I think we should do in life. To be fair to the other person, to be pastoral to the other person. Okay, what's the best, best way to spin this? What's the best possible? And then argue against that. Because, of course, there's extremes. But don't throw out the whole conversation because of extremes. Um, and I think that's only fair to let them talk. And then I'm, and So then I'll just say, we'll have this neutral column that I didn't put on your sheet. What, what types of issues in this realm um, does the Bible not get to? And when I say socialism, there are so many types of socialism. I, I will tell you, in, in my personal opinion of reading of the subject, there has been no true, pure socialist state. Most of your friends who might call themselves socialists are not talking about that. So don't argue against that. You're just kind of wasting time. It's, it's a straw man at that point. 
Um, if I need to start us off, I will. But what would be, and I want you to answer for both sides. If you, if you raise your hand, you have to give one for each side. How about that? And then until we run out. So anybody want to take a stab at what would be a, the best biblical principle for each of these sides? Or not the best, just a, something that would go in each category. What's that? No, no, no. I mean, what in these economic, these are economic systems. What about, what, what do these economic systems purport that we would say, yeah, that's a biblical principle to consider. Now, if it does it well or not, we can argue about that later. But what, what is, what are the intentions behind the system that we would say, yeah, that's a good motive? Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. Okay, so where would you put those? Okay, so what did you say again over here? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, Ephesians 4, I think. Let the thief no longer steal, but have somebody to give to them. So, we're, so that we can give. Okay, good. That's exactly what I'm looking for, that type of thing. You can, you can in the back of your mind, you can be silent and say, that's misapplied. Fine. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Second Thessalonians, I think it is. No work, no eat. 310, something like that. I have it on my sheet somewhere. Yeah. Now he doesn't hurt, shouldn't eat. And so that whole idea of individual responsibility, I, I can see the welfare system. Um, if you just do a bunch of free handouts, the motivations are gone. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Basically, Old Testament Israel, I'll just put that as a huge category. A lot of the passages people would turn to, you can think of the year of Jubilee, right? Every 50 years, the land went back to the tribes. It doesn't matter how good you were at your land, you lost it. It went back to your vote. Um, all sorts of, in fact, in the early few weeks, we went through all sorts of passages. Um, so there's a lot that you could turn to to say, okay, if America was supposed to act like Israel, it would be pretty easy, actually, to make a socialist case. The real question is, is that theological category? And that's what this side would say. Well, you're, you're wrongly interpreting the Bible. Global issues of the Old Testament. Sorry? Global issues of the Old Testament. Okay. Israel, <laughs> in that, it was no theocracy. There is no theocracy. Not arguing. But that's how there they would get there. They didn't. They didn't. I'm just saying that they would say, well, that was God's command, though. That was his intent. And, for example, to Tim's point is, those were about the, 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 the 12 tribes, right? Those were God's land, his apportionment to 12 tribes. We don't have a 12 tribes with America, right? So I, go ahead. I, I cut so you off last week. of that be Yes. Yeah. So if you want to be a, an evangelical who gets to capitalism, 
basically you would say that and say it's a mis it's a misuse of the Old Testament. It's a misapplication. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this would be their response, basically, uh, voluntary. Let me just throw on that. Where, where would they think of Acts 2, right? The church had all in common, and they were sharing, so people would turn to Acts 2 for the same thing. And yet, when you get to Acts 4, Acts 5, whatever, Ananias and Sapphira, what were they told? When you had this money, it was yours to give, and you chose to give it. So same things, that would be the answer there. But this is a passage people would turn to. Look at the way the church acted. They had everything in common. Uh, Romans 15 and a few other places, Paul talks about, I, I use this in one of the weeks, like Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to give a contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. And they were pleased to do it, so it was voluntary, and yet they owed it to them, right, from a justice standpoint. And yet, from a Christian standpoint, it's owed. Now, that's not a government system, right? Those are Christians taking care of each other. And that would be another aspect of this. This, this misappropriation would be more... You have a better chance of applying that to the church, maybe, than the nation. But even there, it was voluntary and unique. Yeah. I got a question. So, why would, if you look at Genesis and you look at the garden and you list the thought that for Adam and Eve, why would a person not look at that as being socialism? And when you look at the end of the Bible revelation that every man can be equal without any change in need, why would that not be a description? So, I don't want to come to a conclusion on these today. I just want to present where this side would go. And I know I'm going to leave you hanging. Because I want to... <laughs> I don't want to come across as a position today as a socialist or capitalist. So they, when, when, in Acts, when they all sold everything that no one would be in need, is, is that appropriate to look at that? That would be the question. That's exactly the argument. I'm not answering it. I, I want to I get to see the other side and at least where their starting point would be. Yep. Aaron. Aaron. Every time. Leah. E-R-I-N in my mind. Yeah. Well, and even before the church, who's before the church in that passage? Family, yeah. 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 So, like, I think we could easily avoid extremes wherever we are on this, and say, if you to the point you have welfare and social welfare, there is no, it's not unlimited. Biblically, we're, we can be very clear on that. There ought to be some kind of means testing. Could you use that term? Because he says truly widows. Well, let's, and what he, he's not saying, are you really without a husband? No, he's saying, are you really in need? Do you really not have help? Are you living a godly life? Do you not have family that can help you? Well, there's also the example that says that you have one husband, 
Yeah, yeah. There was definitely conditions. And here, if a person is able to work and refuses it, they don't eat, right? So wherever we are, I think we can be pretty strong biblically that there at least ought to be some kind of means testing. Now, exactly what those are, you know, that's where we get in this category. How much, um, I would say, government efficiencies, uh, you know, depends on what government you're in, maybe. Uh, these, these are just, these kind of arguments are abiblical in my mind. I would, now you can disagree with me and, and prove it, which is fine. I'm just trying to suggest there are, there are a lot of issues that we would talk in the subject that are going to go in this category and don't break fellowship over them, right? Use your wisdom. By all means, have your opinion and vote that way and advocate that way if that's important in your life. As long as the cross is more important than the flag. That would be the question. In my mind, it's not clear. Now, Thabiti, the guy I've been quoting, who's, I wouldn't call him socialist, but he'd be more of a, he would be important on, on certain welfare stuff. He'd say, since the government is in the business of good and evil, and that it's a good thing to care for the poor, then the government ought to be involved in caring for the poor. But it's, he admits that's a logical argument he would make. He can't open to a verse and say, thus says, Congress shall do this. He fully admits that. He thinks as we embrace that idea of good and evil, we might shift that way some. And then you just have to take that. Yeah. Yeah. Your point. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Applying my life off of Jesus' miracles would be a stretch for me. But if the wrongdoing is... Government is, is protection through coercion. And yep. The first example of government in the Bible are the cherubim at the garden guarding uh, the re-entry back into the garden of Eden. And so to argue that it's government's job to do otherwise, you have difficulty... Well, we know what column Tim's on. <laughs> I'm trying to hear both sides. You could say, but if it's wrong not to rent out your apartment to a black guy, the government ought to step in and stop that. And other people would say, no, let the free market take over, right? It depends on where you call as unjust and oppressive to get your decision. I don't want to have the argument. Okay, and he would disagree. <laughs> leave it. Leave it to your... And there's, I think there's a mix of motivations on each side. Let, let's go to that, Tim. What would this side say? What are the abuses of this side that they would be concerned with? And they have a biblical warrant to be abused. What is capitalism driven by? It's the big famous line. Greed. 
Right? So they see capitalism as a, greed, a greedy enterprise. Individualism motivated by materialism. There's no doubt capitalism is driven by these things. Now, you can still argue that it's still the best way to run a society. It's still, what are the, these guys would say, yeah, but what are the net effects? Are we really about helping the poor? Capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty than anything on this side, would be the argument. So, that's where the argument comes. But let's not cut them off at the knees when they say we're worried about greed and materialism. Amen, brother. We should be worried about that. And maybe there's an abusive side of this. If you're a capitalist that there's an abusive side, we still mitigate it where it makes sense. Or at least it could be applied this way. Yeah, if you went truly full up free market with zero laws, I mean, that'd be pandemonium. People would cheat, right? They would advertise what's, this is, this has been proven to do whatever, and it could be a complete lie. So, right. That's a lawyer talking right there. Yep. Yikes. Right. Yeah, there would be. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that stance. There would be purists who would say, no, it's not even the church's role in that. I don't know how they get there personally. But. Okay. Yeah, I I know someone in this church who argues that protesting abortion clinic is a sin because they're voluntarily going. I don't hold that. It's not me. (laughs) Doesn't mean I'm right though. Yeah. Um, What I'm just thinking about some of the comments made about um, the church's role, you know, and it kind of seems, or at least in my mind, I think of the government as an institution that might have some Christians or might have some people that are going to represent Christian moral values. But the church has no real... um, They're accountable. You know, I I visit my grandmother not very often and and in the small town in Mississippi there's segregated um, um, where they bury dead people. Cemeteries. And it's disgusting. I remember my grandma telling me a story about how my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother was really upset because they buried my great-grandfather really close to the black side. Hmm. And um, and these are church-going people. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's sickening. It is. And I, and I look forward to the day that I could take my son and say, son, this is sick. And these are church-going people. 
Yeah. We've we've got to start wrapping up. So you know, I think that it's in the church's best interest to be biblically faithful, tax Yeah. All right. Let me just close it by saying, so maybe 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 the good takeaways from this would be avoid hot. To this side, I would say avoid hyper secularism, replacing God with the state. That's one thing I didn't. Look at these guys would see this side as, hey, you're, you have all this faith in the government and you're really just making the government your God. Um, and so, and there's a very much a secular, hyper secular side of this. So a Christian who might be in this camp needs to be aware of the hyper secularism tendencies of trusting the state in a way that they should trust God. Um, I would say this side it would be very hypocritical if they cheated on their taxes, right? They say, we need to tax more so the government can do more, but I'm going to cheat on my taxes. I have close relatives who did that. <laughs> and if you're on this side, you know, avoid free. Sometimes this side sees this side as freedom for the purpose of an indulgence um, and for pleasure's sake. I want my stuff. I don't want you to have it. It's mine. And that kind of attitude in James 5, for one instance, would be rail against that as a Christian. So where is your heart? We'll get to reparations next week now, it looks like. Is your immediate thought on that issue, because it's, I don't want to give it away, I don't want to lose it. That's a wrong motivation, right? There might be good motivations, but that's a wrong one. Um, it would be hypocritical for this side not to be involved in personal charity. Giving to it, and maybe physically involved. You say the state doesn't need to do those things. You know, the goodwill of people, the church can take care of the poor. If you're not involved in caring for the poor, then that sounds quite hypocritical to me. Or whatever issue, you can't do everything. Right? If a significant part of your life is not spent doing what you think ought to be done instead of this, then I, I find that hypocritical. And I already said, don't treat the Constitution like the Bible. So I guess what we'll do is we'll start next week uh, with one or two topics. Um, I even thought about breaking into tables and stuff, but this room is hard. But, and then I want to get into what is critical theory, because that's where this far left side of the board is. There's definitely unchristian elements to it, and I think I need to define that because very often what you're seeing on the media, that's social justice. And I've been talking in this more nuanced way about the term social justice, but I want to hit that clearly because it's important. All right. Anybody want to close us in prayer? Chuck, you want to close us? No? Okay. Sorry. I'll close. Our Father, we thank you for the Bible. We pray that we would be people of the book. And we also pray that we would be people with hearts that can be molded and changed and renewed. Help us to not be indifferent. Help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ first, and then our neighbors second. To truly care for their plight, using our Bible, using our wisdom, using our conscience, to use our time, energy, and money in a way that would glorify you. Um, help us not to wrongly divide on some of these issues. Um, help us to always be gospel-centered. And we ask for wisdom in this. It's they're, they're difficult issues. Now we look forward to going to worship together as a people of God. In Jesus' name, amen.